It's not your father's plasmapheresis anymore. Listen and explore with us the state of the art in apheresis medicine. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sergio Torloni, Medical Director of Transfusion Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Dr. Torloni has a specialty in apheresis and works with stem cell medicine as well. He is Director of the Coagulation Laboratory, and he's on the forefront of pioneering medicine in this interesting arena. Today we're discussing the state of the art in apheresis, which most of us first knew as plasmapheresis, but it's a whole new frontier today in preserving life in previously devastating diseases. We're honored to have you talk with us today, Dr. Torloni. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little about what apheresis entails and how you've seen that change in the last 10 years. Well, apheresis has changed the treatment of some diseases. It has become, of course, mainstay for treatment of thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. But it has also been used for other diseases that are antibody-mediated. And different now from what they were doing before? Well, for some diseases, yes. Basically, we have four categories of diseases where category one and two, there is good evidence and support for apheresis for these patients. Category three has little evidence, a little support, but it's not totally been elucidated if there is good effect or not. There's just not enough studies or very few cases reported. It doesn't mean that it does not work or it does work for that matter. Category four, of course, are diseases for which apheresis has been shown not to work, such as schizophrenia and systemic lupus and things like that. For category three, for instance, we do have some more studies going on right now that uh, may qualify some of those diseases for the use of apheresis such as a drug overdose, for instance, although this has been the domain of dialysis, there appears to be some application for drug overdose, recurrent focal segmental sclerosis, primary focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, hemolytic uremic syndrome, stiff man syndrome or stiff person syndrome, as it's known now, and some groups of patients who have systemic lupus have responded to this. So in this category, these are not written in stone, and this is an evolving topic. So I encourage listeners to follow up on these categories because as more and more studies get done, some of these diseases may actually respond. A good example is some variants of multiple sclerosis the relapsing uh, remitting variant has been shown in some cases to respond to plasmapheresis. This is not a definite use for this procedure, and indefinitely not all patients will qualify for this, but this is something that's been looked at at this point. Now, in drug overdoses before, wasn't some type of plasmapheresis used for certain indications other than the ones that require dialysis, a different filter, a different chemical, or is this totally new? This is something we're dwelling into, and it's still the domain of dialysis in general. Drugs that are susceptible for removal by plasma have a low volume of distribution, uh, high plasma protein binding. These are drugs that distribute extensively to the extravascular space and become sequestered within cells in the intravascular space are poorly removed by plasma exchange. So we still defer this to the dialysis. What is photophoresis, for example? Can you explain how that's used? Certainly. Photophoresis is a procedure that consists of immune modulation by ultraviolet irradiation of Buffy coat. 
the patient is connected to a machine that's dedicated for this procedure. There actually is only one machine in the United States that's licensed for this. It's the Terracos. And is that at Mayo or...? No, this is widely available in different centers, mostly academic centers and large centers and large hospital centers. This procedure has been FDA licensed for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma and can also be used for immune modulation under certain circumstances. The buffy coat is collected by centrifugation into a bell-shaped bowl. It's pumped into a plastic bag with anticoagulant. Once there is enough of the buffy coat, the cells are treated with 8-methoxysorolem, which is a photoactivated dye, which binds to DNA irreversibly in the presence of UV light. Once this occurs, the product, after being exposed to ultraviolet light and given sorolem, is reinjected into the patient. The cells are damaged and undergo apoptosis. Cell debris are phagocytized and amount an immune response, and this works as a vaccine for the patient where the antibody or cell destruction of the clone involved in cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, for instance, will be taken out of circulation, at least temporarily. So they get a remission of sorts? They get a remission of sorts. Actually, I could refer patients to a website on photophoresis. Just look up on Google photophoresis and you'll see the images, which are quite surprising. Now, here's something everyone will have an interest in and want to know more about, the stem cell harvesting. What's the role for aphoresis here and how is it being used? And that's a very good question because that's what I spend most of my day doing here. Good. (laughs) Peripheral blood stem cell collection has become the mainstay of bone marrow transplants. Very few bone marrow harvests are done, and when they are done, they're for for very specific cases. Peripheral blood stem cells is very efficient. Patients are mobilized with growth factor, GCSF or GMCSF. Once these cells are circulating, they are harvested with an apheresis machine through a leukophoresis procedure. The cells are collected, then sent to a cryopreservation lab where they are frozen and they can be kept for prolonged periods of time, sometimes 10 years. Then when needed, they can be thawed and reused into the patient in order to reconstitute the patient's immune system. Now they're given back to the patients they came from? Yeah, this is an autologous transplant. We can also have allogeneic transplants where we have HLA-matched donors donating for either match-related or match-unrelated donors. Through the National Marrow Donor Program, we have collected marrows here that get transplanted to people in other countries where they found a match. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. We're speaking with Dr. Sergio Torloni. We're discussing the new frontiers in apheresis medicine. So regarding the stem cell research, let me get back to that for a moment. You have the stem cell harvesting, and then how would a patient, what's a situation where the stem cells would be harvested and given back to that patient in 10 years? How would they ever know they would need that? Patients go into remission from their disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some patients are in prolonged remissions. We'll never need those cells, but we do keep those cells for extended periods of time. And should they have to relapse, we will look at the viability of the cell product and make sure that it's still viable. And, you know, the hematologist will decide on a regimen to treat the patient with should they relapse with a primary or a second primary disease or a secondary malignancy. 
So these are patients who have diagnosed with a malignancy. Maybe they're going to undergo chemotherapy, and you're harvesting their stem cells for later use. Is that uh, correct? Absolutely. This is part of the bone marrow transplant, which consists harvesting peripheral blood stem cells and storing them for future use after chemotherapy. And some centers will harvest and keep these cells for multiple transplants, depending on protocols. Some centers will give all the cells back and not keep anything, but these cells have been shown to be quite viable for many years. Are they ever used in other patients? If it is from a patient with cancer, no, the answer is no. If it is an allogeneic transplant, then a healthy donor will donate for that patient, and we run into a whole new set of problems, which is graft-versus-host disease. Right. Now, I understand there's a World Association for Apheresis. Can you tell us something about that? Right. There's uh, several international associations. There's the World Apheresis Association, which has meetings every two years in foreign countries and uh, gathers specialists from many areas of the world. There's the International Society for Apheresis, ISFA, which is mostly based in uh, Asia. And these societies have their journals, Therapeutic Apheresis and Dialysis, and for instance, is the Journal of ISFA. Journal of Clinical Apheresis is the Journal of American Society for Apheresis, which is based in North America, and it is our national society. Now, how is apheresis used in other countries? Is America on the cutting edge or other people ahead of us? That depends. We are certainly applying the science that we have developed to the fullest at this time. Other countries, mostly in the Far East, they are into different specific absorptions with affinity columns, not only in the Far East, but also in Europe. A number of columns have been used in other countries. I must say that the majority of those are not licensed in the United States. We have columns that absorb specific antibodies in plasma. Even columns that can absorb gram-negative endotoxin have been tried in Europe with certain success. Does this type of medicine have a role in third world or developing nations? Well, the short answer is yes, certainly everyone is entitled to this, but the financial situation of these countries, having been seen this firsthand, it is very difficult to have access to this unless patients are into a private insurance plan. Governments in third world countries do not offer, to my knowledge, access to apheresis. Now tell us about your work in this field at the Mayo Clinic. How rewarding is that for you? Well, being at Mayo Clinic, first of all, is a great honor for me. I did my fellowship at Mayo Clinic, and I was invited to come back and head the Division of Transfusion Medicine, apheresis, and then I got involved with coagulation here at Mayo Clinic, point-of-care testing, intraoperative salvage. So I do wear many hats here. It's been exciting. We are, of course, thought after by several companies that want to do studies, and we are currently involved in several studies that involve apheresis. Now, you mentioned intraoperative salvage. What's that? Intraoperative salvage is the use of recycling blood during surgery. Basically, the blood that used to go to waste with a surgeon using a sucker, the vacuum cannula, to clear the field, that blood is recycled into a specialized machine which washes the blood and gives the blood back to the patient. So it's like an autologous transfusion during surgery. Is this done routinely? Is this for special circumstances? This is done routinely, especially in cardiovascular cases or in cases of liver transplants or cases where we expect it to have large blood large loss. Large blood loss, right, right. Makes sense. This area of hematology and pathology has been your passion for many years. Did you know that you would be doing this from the beginning? 
Actually not. I always planned when I was in medical school to be a cardiologist, but somehow I drifted into pathology. Well, so you'd have all the answers, right? Uh, well, yes, we have all the answers, but too late most of the time. But, you know, I do dwell into the clinical world, and I find that exciting. After a brief stint in pediatrics in my past life, I do enjoy very much dealing with patients, and I spend most of my time actually dealing with patients. It's something that I just happen to fall into, and I enjoy very much making a difference in patients' lives through apheresis. Dr. Trelawney, you've been extremely educational. You've been delightful to interview, and I want to thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you very much for having me in your program. I've been speaking with Dr. Sergio Trelawney of the Mayo Clinic, and we've been discussing the newest frontiers of apheresis medicine. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.